if people do not have proximity to the hurting, to the vulnerable, to the poor, it's hard for them to talk about it. It's hard for them to preach about it. It's hard for them to actually acknowledge the fact that there is brokenness in some of those areas. And so border perspective, that's exactly what we do. And that's exactly why I created it. What's happening, everybody? How are you doing? Welcome back to the podcast. This is the Can I Say This at Church podcast, which you should know because you downloaded it. And I am Seth, which you may or may not know because I think I'm pretty inconsistent with letting you know who this voice is. However, I'm happy that you're here. Big things are happening. So I'm extremely excited. Like there is light at the end of the tunnel of all those transcriptions, which is really taking more time than I thought that it would. But honestly, the show gets better as I do them, if that makes any sense. I'm paying attention to nuances that I didn't hear prior. But I wanted to let you all know that that is happening. Like it's really close to done. And that will give me a little more space to do a few other things. Also, the store, which if you're a Patreon supporter of the show, and so real quick, I'll just say thank you so much to Pat Robinson Trap for jumping on board there. But for all of you that are in that community, anything in the store, like you get a discount on and you should have got that code uh, when you became one. And if you've been one for long enough and you just don't have it, just let me know. Shoot me a message, send me an email, and I'll tell you what the code is. But I have some more new things that should be coming out as I do some quality control checks. Uh, They were supposed to come out, honestly, in April around Easter. And that didn't happen because all of the factories, for the most part, shut down because of the COVID-19. I mean, that is what it is. So my apologies for that. However, I am about through with the script for that Obadiah episode that for some reason y'all wanted to hear based on some of the comments in the community group there over on Facebook for the show, the Honest Discussions group. So I'm about done with that. I also have had some other really good conversations in the in the last few weeks that I really can't wait for you to hear. And and I'm man, I'm just actually pumped. So feel energized, feel ready to rock and roll. Maybe it's the fact that the trees have bloomed and the dogwoods bloomed. I don't know what it is, but I'm energized and um, I'm extremely excited. So today I spoke with Jonathan Moya, who is with the Border Perspective. He's got a beautiful story and he's done a thing that I think a lot of people would like put on their bucket list. You know, like go to New Zealand, do this, go that, Niagara Falls, whatever it is. And then uh, he traveled the length of the entire U.S.-Mexico border and it was life altering for him. You know, he went into the desert and came back out a different person, I think. And I think you'll hear a bit of that in his story. So I don't want to give anything away from the episode. So here we go. Jonathan Moya, welcome to the show, man. It's like 927 that day before Easter at night. So we're hardcore. We're here. We're doing it together. But thanks for coming on, man. And thanks for being flexible with my lack of the ability to schedule. Though, to be fair, the economy exploded and my job took over my entire life because of it. So totally understandable. I think if, you know, this is one of the seasons in our lives, I think we have to be more understanding than, than ever before because... We're all experiencing it together. I mean, globally, mm. right? We're in the midst of this pandemic, and I think there's things about it that we all can relate to. So, so no worries. Yeah, my dad and I were arguing about it because he thinks it's a conspiracy theory. There's not, or I'm pretty sure that's what he thinks, or he did weeks ago, and you know, it wasn't yeah. a big deal. And I was, he, he's like, it's a democratic ploy, and I don't really get political uh-huh. on the show. But I remember totally. asking him, I was like, but what about all the other countries that don't have Democrats? Like, uh-huh. why is it a thing over there? Yeah, because how did we get them on? 
He didn't like totally. that. Totally. Yeah, like you that. know, you got, you got to pick your battles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell me about you, man. When when people want to look you up and you're like, no, the stuff on Google doesn't matter. Here's what yeah. you want to know about me and here's why you should mm. know these things. Like what matters to you? Totally, totally. So, well, first of all, I feel like at 34 years of age, um, there's a lot of things that I think in my 20s, I let myself be defined by. Hmm. And I think it was, I think always chasing, I don't know, a name or always chasing a career or always chasing, you know, just the next big thing. I think at the turn of the decade for me in my thirties, I've become a father. I become a husband. I've become even more of an adult, I, you know, than in my twenties. <laughs> and I think I started to see life very differently. And so um, I think the things that most people don't see online, right, or on Google or social media is just um, that hour today, you know, that I spend outside with my son and swinging him, you know, on the swing and um, the game of cards that my wife and I played last night, you know, to pass time as we go through this pandemic together. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm not going to say all of that's perfect because, you know, you yourself can relate to that. Parenting is hard. Being Mm -hmm. a husband is hard. Being a leader of a family is hard, but those are things that deep within me, I want to continue to strive to be better at. I want to uh, be a family person. I want to be a family man. I want to love my son and raise him well. I want to love my wife as much as I can and and continue to, most importantly, serve the Lord through through all of that. And I think it begins there. I think before it goes it's external for me, it has to begin in the home. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I asked you before, but I don't think I was recording. So yeah, you're from Texas, but you don't live in Texas now, but you're from Texas, correct? Yeah. So, so I was actually, so I was born in Northern Mexico um, originally. Right. And, and then in the early 1990s, my parents immigrated from Northern Mexico into Southern Texas. And so I defined myself because most of my childhood was defined by living in Texas and growing up there and going to school there. And then um, I went to college in the Midwest at a small liberal arts college in Mishawaka, Indiana called Bethel, and then started doing missions all over Latin America, eventually in one of those countries, Costa Rica, Rica, actually, I met my wife, Hmm. and she said, you should come to Minneapolis, Minnesota. The summers are fantastic, and they're great. (laughs) And the winters are awful. (laughs) Yeah, well, she didn't tell me that. We were engaged before that part. (laughs) And so this is where I call home now. So how long did you spend in Texas? Yeah, so I actually moved to Texas when I was seven mm-hmm. and then left Texas uh, right after graduating high school. And so about 15 years. Yeah, I'm going to count you as a Texan then. And I ask every Texan the same question, um, uh-huh. although I haven't had a Texan on in a while. Okay. But so y- you have to choose In N Out Burger or Whataburger. Which oh, is it? definitely Whataburger. See? There is no option. We, see, it's Whataburger's undefeated. But it's been yeah. a while since I could do that. And so it's nice to it's nice to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> Friday night lights at Whataburger. I mean, it's mm. just it goes hand in hand. Friday yeah. night football, 
and Whataburger. Yeah, There's for, nothing for else that, like it. It's that chicken finger in the gravy, which sounds oh. disgusting, <laughs> but that's how it's supposed to be eaten. I don't even yeah. know why. <laughs> so where in Texas? So you said uh, South Texas. Where at? Obviously, Texas is huge, yep. right? And mm-hmm. there's so much to even, I mean, when I say South Texas, some people think I'm referring to like San Antonio or that's not um, Corpus <laughs> that's Christi, like- <laughs> right? But and, and, and in some ways, that's that's part of South Texas. But I'm talking about right on the U.S.-Mexico border, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the borderlands. I'm talking about a place that is often referred to as the Valley, the Rio Grande Valley. And so it's an area that currently... Um, has about one point, um, a, little, a little over 1.1 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an area that is defined so much by headlines, so much by the news, so much by politics. Um, but it's an area that I like to say that, and many people that um, when I tell them about this, it's not Mexico, it's not Texas. Mm-hmm. It's an in-between place because it's a place where many people are transitioning into and out of. And so it's an entry point for many. And so I grew up in that region going to school and learning everything in English, but speaking Spanish at home. Mm -hmm. I grew up eating hamburgers and pasta at school and I grew up eating tortillas and salsa, you know, at home. And so the back and forth and the in-between has been a constant all of my life. Yeah. And so I think maybe that gives you a glimpse of that region just because of how much of an in-between place it is. Yeah. So I'm from Midland, Texas, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is not close to the border. Well, I mean, it uh-huh. can be. I mean, you could drive for like three hours and be at the border. Yeah. Like uh-huh. straight southwest. Yeah. What's the border? Down? It's Laredo. Yeah, that's the Laredo. Border. Yeah. Laredo, El yeah. Paso. Yeah, we would go down there. We'd go down to Acuna. Acuna, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can remember as a kid going across, we'd get lunch okay. and then walk back across. Okay. But both people could walk back across. It didn't matter what yeah. country we were from. Yeah. And then after 9-11, that didn't happen anymore. But exactly. I can distinctly remember just walking across. And then my grandmother, they lived in McAllen, Texas yeah. for a while. My, my grandfather was a pastor down there. Okay, so I actually grew up in far Texas, which is right next to McAllen. Okay. And so, I mean, so I know exactly the area yeah. that now, you're I don't, talking about. I don't remember much about McAllen. I remember okay. the church. I remember a pool table. I don't even know okay. why. <laughs> and and a pool. It was probably like, they lived like, like an RV type park. Yeah, so I would yeah, imagine sure. it like the clubhouse. There must have been yeah. like a pool table and a pool. I don't exactly. know. It's just, it's in my head somewhere. But I, no, I was that's... so small. I was so small. The area does, we do have and host a lot of um, what up here in the north, we would call them snowbirds. Mm-hmm. In Texas, we call them winter Texans because yes, they're only there seasonal, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I can imagine it was yeah. probably one of those places. So talk to me a bit about what you do. You founded and or run or founded and run or something with what's called the border perspective. What is that? Yeah, exactly. So the Border Perspective um, is an organization that um, I founded and I direct right now. And so basically, I mean, you know, if you want the kind of the straight answer, you know, I can tell you our, our vision statement and I can talk to you about, about our mission. And, 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 you know, what we stand for is, is we equip leaders, we advocate for the vulnerable, and we mobilize the church into action, right? So it's like, okay, well, and those are, I feel like lengthy words, but what does that actually mean? What does mm-hmm. that actually look like? And maybe in order to get into that, I can tell you a little bit of the context of how sure. that became to be. Yeah. 
Um, so at the age of when I, I was referring to earlier, right as I turned 30, I was wrestling with my identity as a, a Mexican-American. Because I was born in Mexico and I moved to Texas uh, with my family at seven years old, obviously, like I didn't have a choice. Like my parents just brought me, right? And yeah, then right. I, all of a sudden, like my identity changed. Um, I remember when I started elementary school, I did not speak English and it was hard for me. And I remember my dad tutoring me and helping me every day after school. And I remember in one conversation, he said to me, no matter what anybody asks or challenges you on, you're an American, no matter what. And I don't, up until I was 30 years old, I never actually questioned that statement. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like for a lot of my life, I was an American, no matter what, but I look different because my skin color is different. I'm brown. Um, I know a second language, you know, mm -hmm. I speak Spanish. I culturally just diverse and, you know, kind of um, see the world very differently. And so I was wrestling with that. What does that mean? Because my identity isn't just one thing. And so more than that, I was even wrestling with the idea of who am I? as a creation of God. So think about this. I'm just kind of letting you in and like, I was wrestling internally with my spiritual being, but then also my like physical, you know, identity. And so that caused me to actually dig deeper. And I invited my brother in early 2017, what would it actually look like to travel the entire length of the border? Hmm. I mean, I'm talking from all the Texas border through New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Oh, oh, oh. And it was at that time, I was wrestling with that because the border was all over the headlines. So where'd you start? Brownsville? So I started in Brownsville, Texas. Yeah. So I started in the Gulf huh. and ended up in San Diego over on the other, you know, on the other side. And I think I was wrestling with my identity as a Christian uh, in my identity in God, because I think what I understood to be a Christian, I think was being defined by the media as something radically different than I think what, what I grew up like and what I even like to identify myself as. And then secondly, also culturally, because at, at that point, there was a lot of conversations about, and I would say hard rhetoric about what immigrants are or not, right? Or whatever. And so I, re I was wrestling with that and I had this crazy idea and a text message I said, invited my brother Jordan and said, Jordan, we need to travel the border. And I knew that I need, needed to travel the border because I think I needed some time away. Mm -hmm. I think I needed to seek understanding. I needed to just go out and deal with a lot of emotion, I think, that I was feeling within me. And so we uh, started a, a Kickstarter and we actually raised some funds and we said, okay, well, you know, we're going to do this Kickstarter and we're going to do this trip, you know, once we got some funding and we're going to just tell stories because I truly believe that it's through storytelling and dialoguing with others, you know, that we seek understanding and that we brought in our own perspectives. And that's what I was really looking for, searching for. Mm -hmm. And so the trip took nine days, you know, um, Jordan was working for Habitat for Humanity at that time. And mm -hmm. I had another nonprofit job and that, and we took a week of vacation and then we added the both weekends on the front end and in the back end. So we made the trip nine days. And I thought that was going to be the tough part for me, but the wrestling 
that came after those nine trips is something that I'm still dealing with today. You know, and this happened over three years ago. So 2017. So that is at the height then of the primary, right? So that was a little bit after the... The election. The election, yeah. Yeah. So what stories are you telling? Like, so when you say we're going to tell stories, are you telling stories to the people that you see? Are you stopping at churches? Are you gathering stories from other people? Like, who are you talking to? What stories yeah, are you Yeah, definitely. So part of the stories that I that I wanted to share was because I, living in Minneapolis, right, and, and being a part of different circles in the Midwest of ministry leaders and churches, and because people knew that I grew up on the border and my family is there and does ministry there. My parents have uh, pastored there, just like you said, like your grandparents, right? Like they've pastored there now for close to 30 years. Mm. And that's how I grew up. I was influenced by that. And I think people were intrigued about, well, you grew up on the border. Like you live there, you have family there. What is it like? Tell us, is it really as bad as this? Is it really a region that is, uh, you know, violent, a region that where there's only drug traffickers, a region where there's only criminals, a region, you know, so basically all the negative things Mm -hmm. and people were intrigued. And so that's part of the reason why I invited my brother Jordan to say, let's do this trip because I also realized that I grew up, think about McAllen or Far Texas, right? It's it's about only about a 20 mile portion of the border. Mm -hmm the entire border is close to 2,000 miles. And so I realized that even though I grew up there, I also had a skewed perspective on the border because I grew up in the church. I grew up in a loving, caring family. Mm. I grew up in a supportive community. And so that's what I've known. That's what shaped my perspective of living in that area. And so everything that I was hearing otherwise was the extreme opposite of that. And so I was challenged by that. And so I said, okay, there must be a part of it that's true, but just because I don't know, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So let's go and let's see what we find. And so we started this trip and we had some scheduled conversations with different people, churches, uh, organizations, nonprofits, uh, immigrant and refuge shelters, Mm -hmm. ranchers. I mean, all over the, the spectrum, you can just imagine people. Sometimes we just walk up to people and talk to them in the local plazas on the, you know, uh, on the on the border, and and we just wanted to expand our perspective. We wanted to understand what are people thinking. I mean, what are people feeling? What are their thoughts about the area that they live in? Do they love it? Do they hate it? Um, you know, are they only here for a season? And it was surprising to us how much people love where they are at. Hmm. I think. Um, Obviously, like I still refer to Far Texas as kind of my home, even though I live in Minneapolis, right? But I always say, well, yeah, like back at home, and that's where my parents, because that's where my heart is. In 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 many cases, even though like I have a family here and everything, like there's still a part of of me mm-hmm. that's there. And so I think I wanted to come back after that trip and and bring back perspective, perspective that I knew I was being asked for, but I didn't have. And so I took this trip trying to gain some of that perspective for other people, but most importantly for myself. I think I wanted to be at peace in my heart with understanding my identity culturally and my identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's, like I said, the nine days were easy. (laughs) Um, We met other people, had conversations. So talk to me a bit about what happened after, because what you're describing sounds similar to, I've heard people when they go to like walk on the Camino, Santiago, mm, you know, yeah. which is a much longer trip. 
Yeah. You know, you go away on something and you come back and you're not often prepared for re-entry into the mm-hmm. world. And also, I think probably people like I'm doing now bombard you with questions and you're like, yeah, I'm st- completely. I'm still processing here. If you could give me like five months and then we can table up. Yeah. But it's been years then. So looking back now, like talk to me a bit about what changed in kind of that identity, identity in Christ, identity culturally, like rip that apart if you're willing. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's the part that I wasn't ready for, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think I prepared really well for the actual trip mm-hmm. for the nine days. We got the rental car, we got the flights, we got hotels and Airbnbs, and we had scheduled conversations with people. I wasn't prepared to like just after spending nine days completely immersed in a region that is, you know, close to 2000 miles and hearing different stories every single day to just come back and like, I just thought it's just going to go back to normal. Well, it didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, it really caused a stirring in my heart to dig even deeper into these topics and these stories and these statistics that I was hearing. And even personally to dig deeper into my creator, to dig deeper into who did God create me to be? And why does God have me in the in the Midwest? Why does he have me in Minneapolis? Why And, and why did he bring me here from a region that's so polarizing, a, a conversation that's so in, in many ways about politics, right? And why do people want to have that with me? Because I am a person that I don't like to be in the midst of controversy. And I don't know that anybody likes to be in the midst of controversy, to be honest, right? Some, and some so- do. I think some yeah, people well, do. <laughs> I bet, yeah, totally. I, 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 I take that back. <laughs> I mean, some people um, seem to create it if there's not controversy. For sure, um, for sure. Yeah. So after the trip, uh, as I was wrestling with that, yes, um, my alma mater actually had an event about uh, DACA in an immigration panel. Mm-hmm. And I was invited to share some of the photos and stories that I had captured and heard on my trip. And so I actually went there and just kind of shared my heart more than anything about uh, the trip. And then Shortly after that, one um, after that event ended, I was sharing with an old professor, and um, there was this image um, um, out of Tijuana that um, my brother Jordan had captured, where there was families talking to each other, but there was a um, a fence, a barrier between them. There was a mother and a son, and then the father was on the U.S. side, and and the mother and the son were on the Mexican side, mm. and they could not physically touch each other because there was a metal barrier uh, fence right mm. in between them. And um, this old professor of mine started weeping and she challenged me and said, she's like, more people need to hear about this. She's like, it's not so much mainstream culture that needs to hear these stories, but it's the church. Mm. It's the evangelical culture that they were a part of. And that kind of challenged me as I continued to dig deeper after that event specifically. I realized some staggering statistics. I found a, uh, a research done by Lifeway in 2015, uh, which I refer to um, our biblical blind spot as Christians in, in North America, because it states that out of 173 million Christians in the U.S., only 12 percent of us say that our views on immigration are primarily influenced by the Bible. Hmm. And, and it says that maybe that's because only 21 percent of evangelical Christians have ever heard a message from their church about how to reach out to immigrants. Yeah. And so that's why it's such a biblical blind spot. We don't have an, an understanding that shapes our perspective 
from a biblical standpoint of view. What should that be then? What is that? What should that? Because I know what the perspective is. You can just turn on mm-hmm. you know most major n- news networks and hear people For sure. lambasting and 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 vilifying and demonizing people that aren't yeah. from America, um, yeah. which is an entirely different topic. So what should a church's, I don't know if I'm, how to say this, if you could wave the magic wand, create an entire church structure to be like, nope, this is how we treat immigrants, or we'll call totally. them the other, or we'll call them yeah. neighbor, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. What would that be? Like, what What should it yeah, be? Yeah, totally. So honestly, like, I feel like after that research, mm-hmm. I think and I'll answer your question with this. After that research, that's what was the the birth of border perspective as a ministry tool Hmm. Um, because through border perspective, I think the ideal in my mind too, is how can I get churches and pastors and leaders and nonprofit leaders to experience a glimpse of what I experienced, right? Because I think if people do not have proximity to the hurting, Hmm. to the vulnerable, to the poor, it's, hard for them to talk about it. It's hard for them to preach about it. It's hard for them to actually acknowledge the fact that there is brokenness in some of those areas. And so border perspective, that's exactly what we do. And that's exactly why I created it because I wanted to invite church leaders and ministry leaders on an immersive border experience that was all about service learning. Um, You know, just because I think of the impact that that had on my life. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, through the years now, we, I see the impact that that has on their lives and how after they get back from one of our trips and spending some time on the border with us and learning and broadening their perspective from hearing firsthand from ministry leaders and pastors who are actively working with very vulnerable population and migrants uh, who are displaced on the border, they come back to their churches and they challenge their congregation and they find resources and tools around their own city. I'm thinking about about a specific case, um, a pastor who came with us from Grand Rapids, Michigan. You know, he spent um, uh, a long weekend with us um, in in South Texas along the border where we travel the part of of the South Texas border. We engaged with ministry leaders in conversations. We served at a local shelter that had at that time over a thousand people who were displaced that were coming from Central America. And a couple of weekends after I, you know, I got a link uh, from a friend who was on that trip and she said, uh, you know, Pastor Steve's preaching about uh, his trip today. And he challenged his church in the Grand Rapids area to seek out re- uh, opportunities, you know, to adopt, to um, get involved, to serve our refugee community that was already embedded within their own city. Mm-hmm. And so ideally, that's just one story, right? That's one one example. But ideally, that's what it is. And obviously, it's like, how can we provide an opportunity and an experience that will take people deeper and beyond the headlines, that it has an impact in your life, that we continue to equip and empower our churches to love the least of these, to love the, our neighbor to continue to right welcome the people that sometimes in our culture get categorized as the others. I like that. I actually love all of that, and I agree with a lot of it. 
but I want to push back a bit because mm-hmm. um, I don't remember where I saw it. I feel like I saw it on Twitter from Carlos Rod- Carlos Rodriguez. Is that a name that you're familiar with at all? Hmm. I might have to look that up. I don't know. And I might be getting his last name wrong. And if so, I'm editing it out. And if not, I'm going to leave this in here so I look like a fool. But basically, he talked about, you know, you can't worship a refugee on Sunday and Mm -hmm. then also support political policies that Mm want to defund help from refugees Mm -hmm. coming to America. Totally. And then do immersive mission experiences in those same Mm -hmm. places. Like, that is Mm -hmm. not the church. And so... I hear what you're saying, and it's beautiful, but I also see other parts as well. So how does a church or a pastor actually do that in a long-form thing so that it's not just like one week, and then I preach totally. on it for maybe a month, but a year from now, two years from now, the steam is gone. Like, how do you, like, how do you address yeah, that? Yeah, and no, I, and thanks thanks for pushing back. I think that I, I love conversations because I think those help me even uh, consider different perspective, con, mm-hmm. you know, consider uh, broadening my own, um, my own knowledge on mm-hmm. issues, right. And, and conversation. And so I welcome that. Um, I think it's, we are living in a very interesting time right now i think with politics and faith when you bring those two together right some people even um would say that those don't belong together at all some people are all for it right mm-hmm. and so um part of what we do is and, and i understand that it's it's not it's not just about a, a one-time trip it's not mm-hmm. just about a one-time preaching i think it has to become our dna um you know of 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 having programs and um and ways for us to continue to equip our congregation to always have a global perspective because one of the things that i think is difficult for us to understand and we're all you know minnesota had um the uh, democratic primaries recently, right? Right. Obviously before Mm COVID-19 and and all this. And um, I actually became a U.S. citizen about a year and a half ago. Mm. And I actually had never voted before. And I was so proud. I mean, emotional that I could exercise my right to vote. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a Christian, I wanted to exercise and have the ability to vote. Right. I think that it's hard right now to identify uh, myself uh, with a party that I think, you know, it's it calls for a lot of support from evangelicals. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations happening around me that uh, people who are discouraged, people who don't want to be labeled as that because they would say, is that even Christian at all? And then there's other. You, when you say that, you mean the word evangelical? The word evangelical and even what it, I think what, what it signifies and, <laughs> and what it's, yeah, and, and what it stands for. And um, at the same time, you know, I, I, I've been to, I've been to meetings and, and with other leaders who are completely hurt and they're, and, and, and they're upset. And, um, and, and I think I don't ever want to shy away from, from what people are experiencing because ultimately I truly believe that the God is the ultimate person that will reconcile. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't, I, I think I try to walk a fine line, a balance, you know, a, a middle, I think that I'm always striving for, but always knowing the opposites. And I think there's, I often live in, in try to live in the middle, knowing very aware that there's two extreme opposites, uh, you know, on either side. And I think that's hard. I think that's that's really hard and difficult because sometimes I'm not 
liberal for some, but then I'm also not conservative enough for others. Right. And, right. and that is a difficult life to walk in, mm -hmm. honestly, because I'm always upsetting people no matter what. <laughs> I get that. I, that happens to me a lot. I always tell people, they're like, because they'll ask me, what are your politics? I'm like, I'm extremely mm. liberal when it comes mm -hmm. to human issues. And yeah. I'm extremely, I don't want to say conservative, because that's another word like yeah. evangelical that means yeah. something than it should mean. Totally. Um, and I'm extremely tight-walleted when it comes to paying for them, because I can't mm -hmm. turn off the banker part of my brain. <laughs> but I also know that pro-life literally means mm. all the way to the grave. You can't, yes. you can't just be pro-life until the placenta is breached and then all yeah. of a sudden not want to totally. help take care of these kids because mm -hmm. mom should have known better. Like that's not pro-life. Yeah. That's anti-abortion. Yeah. And those are two different things. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. And there's yeah. a lot of issues like that where I'm like, man, I don't know how to make my faith actually actually yeah. jive. With, and, it, and, and they're like, well, how do you pay for it? I have no idea. No idea how to pay for those policies. Yeah. But I do know that loving them doesn't look like that. And it's going to be expensive. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I think it's it's a hard thing. Um, I, I I don't have a, a you know a straightforward answer about like what's the ideal. I think in mm -hmm. both uh you know, living out our faith and being you know uh hardcore about our politics. I think yeah. I think I think we we are aware and I think all of us when we look at culture and we look at um just the political tension in our country, I think we're seeing what that looks like in yeah. some cases yeah. uh, on a, on a, on an extreme level. And then also on, uh, on a level that where, where some of us are trying to walk a fine line in the middle and then there's, and then there's, you know, something, something else, something's different, something different. And so I think I, it's, it's hard. I think we're all trying to figure it out. I think, I think people are also in, in a place of, uh, that we've never been before. I, I think they're, I think they're trying to seek answers and find understanding. And oftentimes, uh, you know, they place their hope on, on things that, um, or people, right. That, that, that really, I think for me are, are challenging that I, that I, that I wouldn't, because I, I want that to be, you know, my hope to be placed on my foundation, who is Christ. And, and, but then even, what does that mean? Because mm -hmm. I, I question that I challenge that often <laughs> as well. So. So I want to ask you a bit about your faith, but I want to ask it in a different place, in a different mm -hmm. in a different way. So being that I'm from West Texas, now I don't yeah. remember how densely packed Southeast Texas is, but I mm -hmm. know for a fact that there are places in Texas that when you go to the grocery store, you bring coolers because you have mm -hmm. to buy enough because it's like an hour drive, hour yeah. and a half drive each mm -hmm. way. So you just come prepared to spend hundreds of yeah. dollars because... You can't do this every day mm -hmm. as opposed to the East coast. I can just drive down the street and I'm in a totally. grocery store. So as you're driving across the border, what did you, so, and well, I'm assuming, and I've never driven the border that it's the same as it is where I'm from, where there is just four to five hours between civilizations. Like it's like in, in the East coast, you, know, you yes. go through an entire state. Mm-hmm. I find wrestling with that silence and I know full well because there are no people out there. There are also no radio stations and there's no cell phone service mm -hmm. because who's using it? Why pay for this? Exactly. What did that silence kind of do to your faith? Like that intentional, now I know also you're with your brother there, so maybe it's not silent, but you know what I mean? Like those stretches yeah. of just you're by yourself between city A to city B. What did that do to your faith at all? Yeah. You know, the landscape of a 2000 mile road trip was just fascinating mm -hmm. because we saw the flatlands, right? Uh, of, of Texas. And we, and, and then we saw, um, 
Big Ben, which is like just completely like mm-hmm. just huge mountains, right? And then this crazy national park. And then we saw the deserts in uh, New Mexico and the mountain ranges in Arizona. And then we, we entered California and you had sand dunes, right? And then you have the ocean in San Diego. The stretch of the New Mexico stretch was challenging for me because it was the desert and it was um we tried to make our trip uh drive to drive as close to the border as possible uh, obviously not off-roading or anything <laughs> no <laughs> funny enough when we got a rental car they actually they give us an infinity it was an upgrade a free upgrade <laughs> and i was like are you kidding me like you know it's lowest to the you know to the floor as possible but so we stayed on all roads but try to drive as close to the border as possible mm-hmm. and I remember driving through New Mexico and it was quiet. Uh, it was my brother. And then we also had uh, Jonas, uh, a videographer with us. And um, it had been hours between the last town that we saw. And then there was still a couple hours to the next town that, that we were going to enter into. And you look to your right and it was desert and you mm-hmm. look to your left and it was desert. That's my and home. There was desert for miles and miles and miles and miles. And, um, I raised the question because I didn't experience it. This was not my story, but I often hear that people walk through those deserts, right? Um, elite, some illegally, um, people live out there and they live away from civilizations, but some people cross those deserts to try and find something better. Maybe this idea of an American dream or a better life. Right. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation, but I thought to myself, wow, I'm in a car, very comfortable. We had water, we had snacks, you know, and that was tough for me to drive kind of in in the desert for, for several hours. I can't imagine doing it on foot. Mm. And then my brother Jordan said, you know, Jesus was in the desert and he knows what it's like to be in the desert. Mm. And he was tempted in the desert, but he was also empowered in the desert. And I think to reconcile my, obviously my experience is so different. I'm not comparing myself to Jesus or in the desert, you know, like it's just, but I think to, to reconcile just my wrestling and what people experience and how they live and what they have to do to leave what they know behind. Jesus has done it. And obviously like, I don't want this to sound like a cop-out answer, but I, but I think what it gave me, it gave me assurance of just where I place my hope and who I place my hope in. Mm-hmm. Because even in that time where I felt like, I was alone and kind of silent and I don't even know what I would do. That brought me comfort. I wrestled with it and I still wrestle with, because that's a very, it's interesting that you asked that question because that part of the trip is a very vivid image in my mind still of us driving down this long stretch of road and there's nothing, you know, for miles and miles and miles ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember growing up, and so what's funny is I now have to drive about an hour to work each day and I often okay. don't listen to anything. Like I miss okay. I, so growing up in that, that was where I prayed. That was mm. where I screamed or mm. that was where I would get vulgar with God because I feel like you're allowed yeah. to do that. Like that yeah. was my time that I could do whatever I wanted inside my steel box because I had hours to work through it. And by the time I got where I was going... Like I'd had a therapy session and I didn't have it on the East coast. Like I don't have that here because everything's so quick. Yeah. 
and I missed it. That's why I was I was just curious because yeah, because I don't also don't know how it is out in Southeast Texas. Like I don't know how dense it is out there. You know, it's interesting enough. So the area that I grew up in, I remember like even McAllen and Far. So Far, when I left close to 15 years ago now, I guess only had like 30,000 people, but I think it's now up to like 64,000. Mm-hmm. McAllen had, I think like close to a little over 60,000. I think it's now like over 124,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously uh, those population numbers change, but if you think about it in like a little bit of a little over a decade, those population in those Double. towns and those cities have doubled. Mm. Yeah. And so it's, 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 so when I go back now to, to see how I grew up and it's very different because it's much more populated. I mean, I remember far Texas last year got its first Starbucks, right? <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, it was such a big deal. And it's like, Oh, I don't know. Like I'm not a, I'm not a coffee guy. So like, obviously there's a lot of Starbucks lovers out there, but that was a big deal. And that you, and and I think that's changing cities, even something like, you know, a new Starbucks in your hometown. I am a coffee guy and I don't like Starbucks at all. Like (laughs) I would be fine if they never exist anymore. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I know how I'm heretical on this show all the time. I'm aware of how heretical the fact that I don't like Starbucks (laughs) is. Do you have relationships with churches on the Mexico side of the border? Yes, we do. And so what is their perspective of American churches and the way that we treat people? Like, what is yeah. the perspective from the other side? Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, um, there used to be a lot of so. So think about and I don't know how much you know about the short term mission movement, um, because so so I grew up kind of in the short term in short term missions, because when I was 14 years of age, um, I was living in Texas and there is a um, short term mission group that came from San Antonio and they needed a translator because they were going to serve into Mexico. And my dad said, you're not doing anything this summer. You're going to go help translate with this group. So he just literally <laughs> sent me away. And so my experience um, um, has been with Mexican churches has been a lot of, uh, through short-term missions, but then also through, through the lens of my parents, because as their uh, ministry leaders and pastors in that area, they also, um, network and, uh, collaborate and partner alongside other churches on the Mexican side. And so for a long time, the Mexican church has been always a receiving, uh, church. They've been a church that has been completely dependent on American groups and churches and missionaries to come and kind of meet needs, not only physical needs, but also spiritual needs. And so there was a a turn, and I would say that turn happened probably around, um, I would say, between 2005, 2010. Uh, 2005, 2010 was crucial to the northern Mexican border because that's when um, and you can probably Google this, um, you started to see an uprise in violence mm-hmm. and violence because of drug cartels, right? And drug cartels started to become more violent uh, in the region to a point where all these churches and these Americans that were coming on these like mission trips and mis- as missionaries and would bring support and help stop coming mm. because all of a sudden the northern Mexican part of the Texas border, you know, became uncivilized and violent. And it was put on the State Department website to, you know, recommended that U.S. citizens not travel there. So that shifted, I think, this kind of receiving mentality of the Mexican church to all of a sudden for the next decade, um, a lot of people stopped coming. 
And so I think the Mexican church for a long time had been dependent on the help and support of the American church. And I think there was about a decade period. And I, and, and I think my dad would um, agree with me. And in, in some ways, my thoughts are, are also his words, right? Um, the Mexican church had to learn how to be dependent on its own. Hmm. It had to be dependent uh, without kind of this uh, American wealth, because it, it is a wealth that we have in our churches and our ministries. And that's what allows us to be mobilized into another country. Right. And, 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 and in some ways I would say the unhealthiness is that some of those churches, if it's not true partnership, they become completely dependent, right. On, yeah. on the help that we're, that we're bringing. And so it's been an interesting to me because I was a part of all of that. Cause I would go and translate for teams and lead teams, you know, in, in my teenage years and, um, and then I stepped away from kind of that ministry on the border and did more ministry all over Latin America. But as of 2017, as, as of, I did my, my border perspective trip and as I've started running an organization and a ministry and working with churches on both sides of the border, Mexico and Texas, I'm beginning to be challenged. Well, I'm challenged by the, by the posture of the Mexican church. Hmm. I'm challenged by their response. I'm challenged by their faith. I'm challenged by their resilience. I'm challenged by the fact that they often don't put politics over humanity. Hmm. Um, I think that sometimes the American church puts politics over humanity. And that causes me to wrestle with my beliefs that causes me to wrestle with how to love my neighbor, how to welcome the stranger. And so I love partnering with Spanish speaking churches. I love partnering uh, and working alongside Mexican churches because, um, you know, there's, they are some of the most sacrificial uh, congregations that are, coming to the aid of the vulnerable in Jesus' name, right? And I think I would say that in the American church, we also go in Jesus' name, but before Jesus' name is a a politician's name sometimes, Mm -hmm. often. Yeah. And I wrestle with that because I want to be about going in Jesus' names first. And then, you know, like, because the gospels for me is like, okay, how do we, how do we care for, for that individual who's vulnerable, who's displaced, who's looking for refuge and a place to belong. And I don't ever want my stances, especially political stances, to take over, you know, these gospel, um, these gospel things that I know to be true in my life. So I want to ask you one final question and then we'll, we'll wrap up. And it's a question that yeah. I'm asking everyone. And if you've listened to any of the episodes from this year, I know you said you listened to a few, Yeah, this won't be a new question. So someone walks up into you at Minnesota now, wherever you're at mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Um, mm-hmm. and they say, you know, when you say God, you know, Jonathan, I hear you say mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. but that's a metaphor. And so I'm, I'm aware that the word God in and of itself is a metaphor. Like, mm-hmm. what are you actually saying? So like, if you were going to rip apart God and do your best to try to describe God, when you say the word God, what are you actually saying? When I say the word God, I think of the word, I, I think, okay, let me just wrap my, my thoughts. <laughs> that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a good one. And I, 
when I hear the word God, I, I think about something supernatural, mm. something that's, that I can't explain, something that I can't grasp, something that I will never understand, mm. something that I will always wrestle with. I remember when I first, I would say that this was a defining point in my faith and it was in college. And I remember saying, and it's part of just kind of my faith story, I guess. I, I said, I'm just going to hold on tight. And this was in 2008 or something like this. And I'm just holding on as tight as possible. What am I holding on to? I'm holding on to supernatural. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with that supernatural sometimes, often. Um, I'm wrestling with this idea of who God is. Is God just about justice hmm. or is God injustice? Why does God allow something like COVID-19 to take over and paralyze the world, right? I'm holding on tight, but I also allow room to wrestle and to broaden the perspective of what I'm holding on to. Yeah. I like that. And you're in good company. I mean, that's the story in the scriptures is people <laughs> wrestling with God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally that that people get their names changed um, yeah. for wrestling with God. So I like that. So point people where they need to be if they want to get involved with the border perspective, if they want to learn more about that, et cetera, like all the places, where do they go? Yeah. So thank, thank you for that. So you can find Border Perspective all over the internet. You can just go to borderperspective.org. Mm-hmm. That will be our website. And then we're all over social medias. Basically, all social medias except like TikTok. Like, right? Like, how do you, <laughs> I, I'm 34. What is TikTok? TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just, you know, search for Border Perspective and you'll find more of these raw stories. You'll find more of opportunities to join us on uh, hopefully one day, you know, on a, an immersive trip trip where we can wrestle with some of the questions that we raised in this conversation and even maybe even go deeper together. Good, good. Well, thank you so much for your time on the day before Easter here late in the evening. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. The part that has haunted me the most of what Jonathan had said is that oftentimes we go do things as the church, but we attach a political name to it instead of just going in the name of Christ. I think I'm guilty of that. Actually, I know that I'm very guilty of that. I'm guilty of that on Facebook and Twitter, social media. I'm guilty of othering people. And if I think I've learned anything from this conversation, and I've said it before, but I don't always practice what I preach, whatever the border is of what I think is acceptable or othering of other people. Christ stands on the other side of that border. Even if that side is the other political party, if that side is a different country, if that side is the Redskins versus the Cowboys, which really pains me. I say that all the time to people, but I don't think I live like it. And I think I've got to do better. So thankful for the time that Jonathan gave in this episode. I'm also thankful so much to the Salt of the Sound for their music. I hope that life is beginning to resemble normal for you that you're safe, that you're well, and that you fully understand how blessed you are.